celebrating the connection with our pets. This is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. I miss Lori Brooks working hard in the newsroom. What do you have coming up this hour? Well, you know how, you know, you look into somebody's eyes and we have humans round pupils, right? Sure. Well, they've done some research and animals have either a vertical or a horizontal pupil. And each one in the various kinds of animals means something different. So we're going to tell you about that. Oh, wow. I never thought about that. Mm. That's cool. It's That's really cool. Yeah. Like dogs and snakes and, and iguanas. and A, right? a rhinoceros. Even. Am, I, am, yeah. am I on the right track here? <laughs> what are you working Just on today, sure. Joey? You know what? I'm, I'm excited. I'm working on brushes, and it don't excite many people, but it excites me. The groomer of me just comes out, so we're going to talk <laughs> about brushes. Brushes do excite you. I know that uh, you're always yeah. bringing in the latest and greatest brushes. I never, I thought a brush is a brush is a brush, but apparently there's different types of brushes, and today you're going to tell different us all about types. that. And brushes are a great arm workout, too. They are a good workout for your arms, the yes. big muscles, plus yes. you bond with your animals. You know yeah. that. They love that when you brush them. That's I the hear, best present you can give them. Take this brush and brush my hair. It's the, That's the okay. gift that keeps on giving. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk to the chicken chick. Is that correct? The chicken chick. Chicken chick. you, you got to say that really chicken chick. Sounds like a Sounds like a fast food chicken restaurant. Chick. I'm going to the chicken chick. Chicken chick. <laughs> She's going to tell us about uh, chickens, I, I assume. Uh, of course, I'm babysitting chickens next door, so this is all very exciting for the old Halmeister here. Uh, but first, your call for Dr. Debbie. How are you doing, Cass? I'm doing fairly well. Where are you calling from today? Pennsylvania. What's going on? I have the whole dream team here to help you. Well, me and my boyfriend are splitting up. We've lived together three years, but we have two dogs. One's a year old Tuesday, and one's two years old last month. I don't know if we should split the dogs up. Do I leave them in their home that they've grown up in? Do I take them both with me? I'm at a loss. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I can tell you as far as a lot of folks have concern over what's going to be the best thing for the pet. And that is at least uh, how I might advise you is is to really, it can be challenging. We have to replace ourselves out of the situation and look at the pet's um, psychological and physical needs. And for me, uh, you know, I can't tell you what you need to do, but I can tell you what things I do advise folks to look at are going to be the ability to provide uh, time for the pets, schedule, um, you know, who has the, the resources, the housing that's going to be most compatible for the pets. And then we also have to look at the relationship of the, the dogs together, you know, if they're very bonded together um, or if, hey, when one of them's away, they, they, they can manage and get along fine and, you know, they're good if they go on trips without the other dog or what have it be. Um, but those are the things that we would look at to make that decision. Um, and I don't think anyone feels good about this decision. <laughs> um, you know, it, you're in a tough spot. And uh, the important thing that for the pet's well-being and their mental health is that we really just kind of want to keep the drama out of their lives as much as possible because we can get more behavioral issues, anxiety problems when um, either they sense our problems or when we start to um, make some 
some um, greater welcomes. And, and I'll give you an example. I had a dear client of mine years ago who had an older dog who they separated, and the older dog um, spent one week with one owner, one week with the next owner, and it went really well in most regards. Um, however, when she got older and she started to develop some cognitive problems, some senility problems, it became very taxing on the dog to reacclimate to the households when she switched from one home to the other. So you have to kind of look at that and how the pet rebounds when they leave one household and return to another. But as the pet parents, the important things also is to not, you know, to, to, to be adults. And, and when you do have a household that you share custody, um, to not have um, a lot of drama about the greeting. So you might say, oh, I'm so happy to see you. Glad to see you come back to mama for a while. Um, but that actually can make them, just like a dog who has separation anxiety, those really over-exuberant greetings and departures can actually make them more amped up in the future uh, for both a departure and for um, returning to the home. So um, those kind of things you just kind of have to keep in mind if you're going to do a shared custody um, kind of arrangement. But, uh, you know, I don't know. you got young dogs, so they would be resilient. And as long as they're in good health, I think you guys got to just discuss among yourself who wants the care of the dogs, um, what their needs are going to be, and who can best suit that. So I don't know if anyone else has anything to add to that. You know, my dogs, I know why I couldn't separate them. Um, whether my wife or myself had them, I mean, I know we would both give them, you know, really good care, but um, they wouldn't be happy. They, 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 the four of them together are bonded. Um, when one leaves, they seem to look for the one that's 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 not in the house. Um, I, you know, what if it was me, I would I would keep them together, and I'll take what Doctor Deb says. Definitely, um, whoever um would be the better care provider. Whether you know whether that be your boyfriend or you, um, I would I would keep both of them together with one person. I think it's important, especially if they if they grew up together. It's like it's almost like separating a family in my mind. Yeah, yeah. You know right. what? I'm actually staying together with my wife for the animals. And <laughs> I, I thought about that. I did consider that. Let's just be roommates. And Ladybug, did Ladybug want to chime in? She 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 no. She's not going to take sides on... Okay. Hopefully, we've helped you, Cass, a little bit. Good luck on that. Thanks uh, for calling. I appreciate Thank you. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing? Uh, doing great today. How about yourself? Very good. Where are you calling from? Tyler, Texas. Tyler, Texas. How can we help you, Tyler, Texas? Well, I've got a little... We've got a, we've got a menagerie of animals at our house and have for years. About 11 dogs and 6 cats. Wow. Holy cow. Of. you got a house full yeah. there. Yeah, we... Uh, we live out in the country, so it's all <laughs> legal, legal. But uh, we've had this little terrier mix in the family for oh, over over twelve years, and uh, she has got a chronic uh, nasal discharge, and it's bloody, and has had for about six weeks. We've had her on antibiotics. We've been working with our our vet. We even started her on thyroid to help clotting. He was saying. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we've been giving her a little Benadryl with the vet's permission to try to dry her up a little bit. But okay. she just snorts and, and coughs and, and just has a terrible time with this. Oh, also removed her front two teeth because of abscesses. Oh, okay. Teeth had gotten bad and she's older and uh, we figured she had an abscess and that's why we pulled those teeth. And when they pulled the teeth, did that seem to change the discharge in any way or no? Not really. So as far as in, I'm assuming if they've done all that, they probably also looked at doing some basic lab work. 
So they've done some basic. Uh, we even uh, lavaged her nose out with a catheter and took mm-hmm. some cells and sent them down to Texas A and M, and they were they were not neoplastic, uh, no, no cancer. Okay. Um, but I was curious: is do dogs tend to develop polyps like people? Mm-hmm. Sure can, yeah. And and actually, what what you're describing with this bloody discharge, we call that basically epistaxis, is the fancy word for a bloody nose. Um, and in an older dog, I'd have to say that some of the things, it sounds like your veterinarian's done a, a pretty thorough job of kind of working things up and getting the most likely things eliminated. Um, in an older pet with a bloody nose and all those other things that have been kind of checked out, I have to be honest that, that cancer is still pretty high on the top of my list. Um, and uh, sometimes we can't always tell um, unless we go up there with a scope, look up in the nose, and take a little bit higher or deeper biopsy. So that would still be a big concern. But a lot of times we can definitely see dental um, infections causing a bloody nose, um, and especially because some of those teeth have really deep roots up there, and um, that could certainly you know, potentially cause a pet to have a bloody nose. And then I'd say probably the next next thing we see a lot is where a dog might have a foxtail or a piece of grass that's worked its way up into the nasal cavity. Um, and that's where, you know, flushing it out sounds like that's what they, maybe we're hoping to attempt um, if that was there. But ultimately, we might get to where we have to get, get that um, endoscopy or the scoping um, up the nose to really figure that one out. Um, and you said you're in Texas there, huh? Right. Because another thing we think of in certain parts of the country, and um, you know, perhaps they've checked for it. If not, I would ask about fungal infections as a potential right. cause of um, the nasal problem. Um, there's different types of funguses, believe it or not, in the soil all over the country, and they're different in different parts of the country. Um, out by us, we have one called valley fever or coccidiomycosis um, in the right. desert southwest. It's fairly common, and that can potentially cause some problems. So um, there's some blood tests for fungal uh, uh, organisms that you can have done, um, but otherwise, a lot of this really falls to getting a good look up the nose and going up there without that little scope to see what we can find. And and I think some of the therapies they've tried are reasonable: antibiotics, antihistamines, um, the thyroid medication can help if we're worried about a bleeding disorder. So all of those things sound like they're right along the right line, but I, I'd really be worried about something a little bit more involved than that at this point. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Okay. Well, give your baby a hug for us, Kevin, and hope that helps things out. Well, this portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Fear Free Happy Homes. Don't forget you can get your fix of Animal Radio anytime you want with the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Download it now. It's made possible by Fear Free Happy Homes. Helping your pets live their happiest, healthiest, fullest lives at home at the vet, and everywhere in between. Visit them at fearfreehappyhomes.com. And thanks, Fear Free, for underwriting Animal Radio. Dogs or cats, horse or emu, animals are people too. When Duchess, the golden retriever mix, was rescued, she was skinny and dehydrated. She was a mild-mannered dog living with several more aggressive dogs who ate all her food. She ended up at the San Bernardino Humane Society, where a chance meeting with firefighter Michael Coster gave her a new leash on life. 
Coster was attending a function at the shelter when he saw Duchess and immediately thought she'd make a good arson dog. So he tested her right on the spot, putting gas in a can to see if she'd go over to it, and she did. So now Duchess is on her way to becoming a much-coveted arson dog, some of which sell for as much as 30,000 bucks. Doesn't sound like she'll have to fight for her food anymore. I'm Britt Savage for Animal Radio. Animals are people too. Animal Radio. How would you like to save money on nearly all your prescription drugs? We've set up a special toll-free number for the RX Outreach Program. They're a nonprofit company whose mission it is to make prescription drugs more affordable to the masses. They don't take insurance, and in many cases, your prescriptions are even cheaper than your co-pays. They carry thousands of different prescription drugs, so whatever you're taking, there's a good chance they have it. No coupons are required, and this is not a discount card. It is pure savings on your prescription drugs. They specialize in generic meds for any chronic health needs you have. Call with your prescription and find out for free how little you can pay for your prescription drugs. Remember, we don't take insurance, so call right now. 800-689-0143-800-689-0143-800-689-0143-That's 800-689-0143. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. I wish you could see this. I wish it was TV and you'd see Ladybug, the studio stunt dog, has obviously been trained to dance now to that song. She loves it. It gets those little <laughs> paws moving, I tell you. Just a little bit over an hour, we'll talk to the chicken chick you got to say that really carefully because you can mess that up. The chicken chick. Uh, she knows her chickens, and everyone owns chickens now or has them as pets, not just for the eggs. Let me tell you that right now. Chickens could, are popular. They yeah. are. And so I'm babysitting these chicks next door, uh, chickens, and they... <laughs> Thank you for clarifying just want to clarify that. that. <laughs> and you know what? I get to pick them up. They're so light and cute and warm. and uh, They, they follow friendly. you around like dogs. They do. I'm actually loving it. I'll be so sad when my chicken sitting is over. <laughs> you know, and I have clients that have chickens, and they report that they have such fun, unique personalities that, you know, it's a, it's like a bunch of little old ladies in the house that they all kind of <laughs> Twitter about and have their little vocalizations. And the, yeah, I can't wait for that. That's just around the corner right here on Animal Radio. Uh, Judy just handed me the story out of the paper, and uh, it's kind of interesting. Some owners may actually be petting their cats all wrong. There's a wrong way to pet your cat? There is a wrong way to pet your cat, and I've actually been doing it right all along, but uh, research done by the University of Wisconsin, oh, those wacky cheese heads, (laughs) they they say that felines seem to prefer face caressing, especially between the eyes and the ears, and that they're especially aroused negatively by tail petting. So oh, if, come on now. Everybody knows that. I know. They had to do a study. How many people pet their cats over the butt and they try to bite them? And then we tell them, don't pet your cat over their butt. Pet yeah. him on the face. That's exactly. Well, you know, one, one snap from the cat and claw to the face and you'll never be doing that again. That's how I learned it's, it's the hard way. But uh, research also revealed that uh, cats better appreciate or let's just say are annoyed less by music written especially for their pitch, which is an octave higher Mm. than ours. 
They don't like that? They, they're less annoyed by it. Okay, when it's, Meaning huh. cats are annoyed by so many things we do, but yes, they're less annoyed. Less annoyed. <laughs> and the, they prefer the tempo of their music to be uh, the speed of purring. Which is uh, that makes sense. I yeah. hey, there you go. Someone's done that research and probably a big grant that got we, a lot of money for that. Yeah. You and I paid mm-hmm. for. Yeah, and we knew well, that I'm already. Sure it'll come in handy someday. Absolutely, it came in handy. Just <laughs> filled like five minutes of time right there. <laughs> hey, Mark. Hey, how are you? Good. I have the doctor right here, Doctor Debbie. Hey. Well, hi there. Great. Hello, Doctor Debbie. Uh, my question <gasps> is, I have. Uh, Actually, in the interim of calling earlier, uh, I was able to bring my dog in, and it seems that she has a torn ACL. And at first I didn't know what the problem was, but now that's been determined. So my question to you is twofold. Uh, Chondroitin, is there a special type of uh, glucose chondroitin that I should use is the first question. The second question is, how much exercise is appropriate? Should it be on the leash? Should it be off the leash? And is there anything else I can do? Because she's, uh, after exercising, she is very sore, and she has an extremely high tolerance for pain, so I know that it's you know definitely hurting her. So I was wondering what you would recommend. Okay, well, if she's been diagnosed with a torn cruciate ligament, that's a that's a big injury, and that's basically um, one of the major ligaments in the knee, um, just like a football player, when they blow out their knee, that's the same type of injury that they're sustaining. So this is really something where we really pull back from activity. Um, we're not going to really want her to do pretty much anything. It's what I call being a couch potato from here. Um, and uh, we want to do that for at least a couple weeks, um, depending on whether surgery is done or not. Um, will really take a, a good long time to rehab and let the pet heal up. So that could be even a month with pretty strict restrictions here. Did they say if uh, she sustained a full tear on that ligament or if it was a partial? Well, they didn't do an x-ray, and just from what he, uh, the doctor told me, he didn't think it was a complete tear because she, she's pretty mobile, but like I said, after exercise, that's when you could see that she's a little more... Uh, uh, she's very tender with it, so um, he didn't really say. He just said that if it doesn't seem to heal up, then we'll do you know further X-rays and then determine if uh, she'll need surgery or not. She's about sixty-five okay. pounds. Okay, yeah, and um, as far as uh, surgery, uh, there's kind of that gray gray zone if we got that partial tear, but if it's completely torn, then definitely I I believe surgery is the best thing. Um, So what can you do in the meantime? And what I would definitely suggest, uh, you mentioned glucosamine, and and that's something good for any pet that has a type of an orthopedic injury, and while they're especially while they're recovering from one. Um, As far as special types, there's some very good veterinary-grade products out there that your vet can probably direct you to. They may be a little bit more costly, um, but the purity is going to be a bit higher, um, so you get a better quality with that. For a large breed dog, um, glucosamine, I pretty much split the the dosage morning and night. Some of the products I use at my office are uh, Synovi, Cosequin is another main brand that we use, and uh, pretty much plan on giving that for the long haul. Other than the x-ray, there's no real way to tell if it's a complete tear? 
Um, yeah, uh, basically what I would do if I'm suspicious of a, a cruciate tear is two things. One is I use a pretty good sedative exam. Um, and the reason for that is we can actually feel for a pretty distinct movement in the dog's knee. And we call that the uh, cranial drawer movement uh, or drawer sign. That can really only be done in a pretty well sedated pet um, or in a dog that the that ligament is just completely ruptured in. Um, and while the pet is sedated, then I will get those x-rays. And x-rays aren't going to show us the um, torn ligament, but they will show us potentially some signs of problems going on. We look for arthritic changes. We look for a joint swelling or a joint effusion. And those kind of signs we can pick up from the x-ray. But for me, it really is all about the physical exam and being able to get that pet relaxed and sedated so I can feel for that. Great. Well, I really appreciate your advice. I thank you, and uh, I enjoy the show. It's always informative. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate your call. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. Hi, this is Dean Koontz on Animal Radio. Please stay and neuter your pets. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. Researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, have discovered a big, great deal about animals' pupils and what those pupils can tell us. For example, they say when a grazing animal is eating with its head down, if the animal has a horizontal pupil, well, that allows it to keep an eye on its surroundings and to detect approaching predators that are coming at them from ground level. The researchers also studied the eyes of 214 different animals for this research. It included cats, dogs, snakes, and as big as rhinoceroses. They also noticed that smaller ambush predators like cats. Cats, you know, wait in hiding and ambush their prey. Well, those type of animals had vertically shaped pupils, which allows them to exclude unnecessary sunlight from their field of vision and catch the best view of their prey. A 26-year-old cat named Corduroy has been named the oldest living cat by Guinness World Records. Corduroy is owned by a woman up in central Oregon who has had him since he was a kitten, and she was only seven years old, so it's one of those lifetime love stories. She says that Corduroy is still active and he's in good health, except for some minor kidney problems, but that he still hunts on the family's ranch, though Corduroy is now the oldest living cat on record. He's not the oldest domestic cat to have ever lived. That designation belongs to a cat whose name was Cream Puff, who lived to the incredible age of 38 years and three days. Well, for the longest time, rescue groups, shelters, volunteers, animal lovers everywhere have really hoped for a day that would come when pet stores would sell shelter pups exclusively. 
Well, here is a dream come true story for you then. Earlier this month, a federal judge in Phoenix, Arizona, upheld a city law there that requires all dogs sold in pet stores must come from shelters. That, of course, is also going to help to relieve shelter overcrowding. Phoenix, by the way, is just one of 60 cities in the country that have similar laws designed to put an end to puppy mills by driving potential pet buyers more toward homeless animals. And that's a happy ending. I'm Lori Brooks. Be sure to get more breaking animal news anytime you need it at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Wow. If you love Modern Family... Jesse Taylor Ferguson is going to be on. When is that? Next week, I believe he's going to be on. Next week. Of course, Dr. Debbie, you don't even watch TV, do you? I don't watch as much of like the the different programs, you know, the sitcoms and such. I just don't have the time. <laughs> yeah, what what do you watch? Um, Inquiring um, minds want to know. Nat Geo okay. Wild. <laughs> no, I watch nothing about animals. Isn't that not sad? <laughs> I see them all day long. I actually watch some good, mindless fun like Dance Moms. Dance moms. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Quality and TV. America, yeah. America's Next Top Model is my other. Um, so yeah, you just gotta when you when you do veterinary medicine all day long, it's just something you just don't want to watch. Like my uh, family members often say, "Oh, did you watch Doctor Pole this week?" I'm like, you know what? The last thing I want to do is watch more veterinary medicine when I get home. I love it. You probably sit around with uh, with your diet Pepsi and popcorn with your hubby watching <laughs> these TV shows. So, well, okay. Oh, he hates them. He hates. Oh, he does. Well, there's a little sanity in that family still. But anyway, <laughs> uh, way off track. We'll head back to the phones in just a couple of seconds. But first, I want to visit with this young lady, Amanda Jones. She is an amazing photographer. She does it for a living. She takes pictures of animals for uh, private clients and some big companies too. And she created a book. I've seen this in the human version. Pictures of the dog babies, puppies, and then uh-huh. pictures as senior dogs or older dogs compared back to back like a, a montage. Very yes. fascinating. She's done this with 30 dogs, and we welcome her to the show. Hi, Amanda. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, now tell us about your dogs and your family. So my dogs, um, I have two. I have a little dachshund. He's a short-haired silver dapple dachshund, and his name is Benny. He's six years old, and then we recently adopted a Chihuahua Dachshund mix named Ladybug. She's just two. That's the name of my dog, little Ladybug. Yes. Her nickname is The Bug because she looks like a bug. (laughs) Yep, I have one of those. (laughs) That's so funny. Were they muses for your photography? I've been doing it for 20 years, so they came later. Okay. My original muse for my photography was Lily, who was my long-haired dachshund that I lost two years ago, March. And she really inspired the book. Absolutely. Tell listeners about the book. Do, Do better justice than I have done it. So the book is titled Dog Years, Faithful Friends Then and Now. And what I did was um, I went back and I photographed dogs that I had photographed when they were young, 10, 12, 15, sometimes 16 years later, now that they're older. And I put them side by side. And it was all inspired by Lily. When she passed away, I started working on a memorial card for her. And I pulled photos from the different stages of her life. And when I put them together on the card and sent it to people, I had such a strong reaction from them that I decided 
you know, I'd like to share this. How could I turn it into more of a project? And that's when I started looking up people whose dogs I photographed years ago. Oh, wow. And I found 30 of them. And I found a picture of a dog that looked like mine as as a puppy, and I saw it, and it was just older, so it gives me a kind of an idea. I looked at that and thought, that's what my little ladybug's going to look like when she gets a little <laughs> yeah, bit older. Yeah. So, yeah, it was kind of neat to see the picture. I mean, it was fascinating to look at all the dogs, how they change from puppyhood, and some look, still look like puppies, and yes. other had really aged, you know, the black dogs, they get a little more grayer, but... Oh, it's just fascinating. Well, just, yeah, this is interesting. Yeah. In just a couple of seconds, we'll give away five copies of this book here. But uh, first, I wanted to find out if you had any good tips on taking pictures of animals. Because, you know, they're, they're as hard to <laughs> photograph as children. Yes, sometimes harder. the black ones. Yes, they are. The black ones are really hard. And the best thing that you can do is find good light. And by good light, I don't mean direct sunlight. Because direct sunlight is not always good light. Because it causes dogs to squint and can also cause really harsh shadows. Uh-huh. But like reflected light off the side of a building in the shade is beautiful. Soft window light through a sheer curtain is wonderful. Something that cuts the, the harshness of a, of a uh, direct sun exposure is good. And then you want to also get down low and um, to their level, which is tricky because they can, they can come, you know, they'll want to come to you when you get down <laughs> sure. to their level. That's they my problem. They get up and wag yeah. their tail. And so you have to do a little, you know, you got to be a little sneakier, tell them to stay and, that works as well if they know that command. And then um, what I like to do is I really try and get good expressions and focus on their eyes because you really see the heart and soul of the dog through their eyes. So I like to get, you know, not too far away unless it's a really interesting scene, but I try and get in, you know, at least a headshot or closer and really focus on their eyes and get them looking at me. And how I do that is with a snap or a little whistle, sometimes um, sometimes a treat works, but then again, you run into the problem of them getting up and coming to you. So it can be a little tricky, but, you know, patience, I have found, is the number one uh, thing uh-huh. that causes me to have a successful photo shoot. Patience, that's what I'm lacking. Yeah, Hal, that's your problem. <laughs> well, because we- you want to get it right away. You want to get it in one shot. And I have to tell you, during my photo shoots, I take 150 or 200 photographs. There are, you know, a few good ones in there, but it takes it takes time. Well, I have some animals that are more photogenic than others, like Ladybug, the studio stunt dog. She's the station, the radio station <laughs> spokes dog, but we can't get a good picture of her on a bed. <laughs> She's However, the bed. cat will pose oh. and uh, do all kinds of things. That's uh, funny. Because that. cats are usually the ones who don't want to have their pictures taken. That's why I focus on dogs. Well, I encourage people to pick up the book. I'm going to give out five copies right now. Dog Years, Faithful great. Friends Then and Now. It has 128 pages. It is a, They're all black and white, right? They're all black and white. Yeah, it's a really beautiful book. Chronicle did an incredible job with the design and the layout. Dog Years, Faithful Friends Then and Now. Amanda Jones, the author. Thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. It's Alan Cable. Have you heard about Doga? Good boy. It's a new yoga class for you and your dog. Robin's a dog trainer in New Jersey. Her friend Karen, a yoga instructor. I knew that I enjoyed it. And when Robin and I were practicing with our own dogs together, we noticed the benefits on our own dogs. It's pretty interesting. A yoga class you can take with your dog. It's been wonderful. That might work for some dogs. Others like to chase things and run around. The most common behavioral problems I hear about are jumping, excessive barking, chewing, going to the bathroom in the house. 
attention-seeking all the time, and hyperactivity. Most of the time, it's because folks don't understand their dogs. Dogs are always looking for your attention. Positive attention, negative attention, they don't care. Take the dog that goes ballistic whenever somebody walks by the window, or he sees a bird or a car, a leave, his own nose in the reflection. What do most people do when that happens? Well, they react to it, of course. They start having a conversation, or sometimes they get angry and start yelling. But what they're really doing is giving their dog attention. They're teaching the dog that every time he barks at the window, he's going to get attention. So he keeps doing it. Another big concern for people is hyperactivity. Dogs are like marathon runners. They're athletes. Dogs need to get their energy out. They're meant to run and jump, wrestle around. It's how they release energy. It's their nature. They have to do it. And if they don't have a way to do it, well, you're going to have trouble. A tired dog is a happy, calm, relaxed dog. And a tired dog is also a calm dog owner. Your dog needs daily exercise, structure, which means rules, and a very important element is attention, when and how you give it. Here's another example. Let's say your dog is outside in the yard barking at somebody walking past the fence. You start going kooky yelling at him, telling him to stop. Because dogs are pack animals, it's most likely he thinks you're actually joining in. You're barking and yelling at the person walking by on the other side of the fence, too. Living with a dog is like living with another person. You've got to learn to understand them, what their behavior says and what it means, and the proper way to respond to it. Get more tips at AnimalRadio.com. I am the family dog, and it's that time of year again. The one where pet parents start looking for Fido-friendly hotels and destinations where Fido is welcome. Make no bones about it. Pets are part of the family, and we like to sniff out new places too. And we hate to be turned away, especially when we're on our best behavior. So we won't be left out in the cold. Be sure to pick up a copy of Fido-friendly magazine to find the best hotels and destinations where Fido is always welcome. Go online to FidoFriendly.com and subscribe today. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's Animal Radio. We're going to head back to the phones in just a second, directly from the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Hey, Jill, how are you? I'm fine. Where are you calling from today? California. Lovely Bakersfield. We've actually had a bunch of calls today from Bakersfield. So what's going on? Well, we have a English golden retriever, and she just days ago turned 12 months old. And we got her when she was almost five months. And okay. when we got her, she's vicious. She is absolutely out of control when it comes to other dogs, people, we just now are getting home from a 30-day trip over to the coast. And mm-hmm. why we were over there, if a car would have driven by the fifth wheel or if somebody walked by and if they had a dog that she would just, we had her uh, hooked up on a to where she couldn't run away and uh, she would dart to the end of this cord and and I mean just like almost slobber at the mouth and viciously trying to get to the other dogs on the other hand now if you go and you sit in the middle of the floor she'll come over crawl in your lap and just try to to get as close and hug you as she can be. She is absolutely the sweetest thing. 
And now we have a ten and a half year old Pyrenees Swiss Mountain, and she's just shy of a hundred pounds. And they get along perfect. While Mm -hmm. we were gone, we took her to the doggy park, and we let her off leash, and she got along fine with all the dogs there. Your golden retriever got along well with all the dogs at the dog park. Yes, the vicious one. Alrighty, and then have you ever experienced any um, aggression towards you in the home from her? No, not toward okay. my husband or myself, or toward Daisy, our Pyrenees, our our friends. Okay. With golden retrievers, you know, we, we kind of consider them America's sweetheart dog, along with the Labrador retrievers. We always expect them to be just really docile, um, lovable, accommodating dogs in every situation. And unfortunately, what you're describing is not at all unusual. Um, when we have a really popular breed, a lot of times we can get into dogs that... Um, that we just start to see some particular behavior problems. And, and, and going back to what you said, what causes it, you know, there's a combination of factors. It part is genetics and part is um, environment. So, you know, while I hear a lot of people say, oh, I think my dog was abused, that's why it behaves this way. Yeah, if that did occur during the socialization period, that is a very negative experience that really imparts some very strong memories in their mind. But um, the lack of socialization, is just as devastating as someone who takes a stick and beats a dog. So a dog that grows up without exposure to other animals, other people, they can become social isolates and not really know how to handle themselves in other situations, or they may be more likely to uh, lash out with a a fearful response. And aggression can be fear-based. So um, there there could be definitely a lot of things in your dog's situation that is triggering her behavior from protective instincts to fear, um, guarding behaviors such as, you know, guarding you, guarding um, objects. Um, so there's a lot of different kind of nuances when we deal with aggression. And uh, it, I do find it interesting that you said that she did well when she was off leash in a dog park because a lot of dogs can actually have leash um Aggression. So when they're on that leash with you nearby, they're more prone to respond in an, an aggressive manner. So those those are all a lot of things to kind of digest and to get in her history. Because there's a, the other thing I was going to mention is you know taking a dog with this kind of behavior on an RV trip it sounds horribly unpleasant for you and for the dog. And it, and it absolutely it absolutely was. You have a young dog, so a couple of things that I'm going to tell you is, number one, these situations, I definitely recommend to get professional help. Um, yeah. I can give you recommendations, but when we're dealing with um, this level of aggression, these things never get better. They get worse, and um, you know, sadly, a lot of times there's little we can do when this has gone on for long, long periods of time. Um, but when we do manage to work with training in this, um, first thing is we really have to control situations and work on simple things like avoidance. We need to work on things within the home environment where you can control them. And some of the basic things we get to are obedience and focused attention. So making sure she's got a solid sit down stay and that she also learns the command how to watch me. Because a lot of times dogs will tend to feel that they have to protect us because we're not checking things out. I have a a guarding breed dog and I know full well that she looks out for me when I'm out on a walk. Every now and then 
I have to stop her and ask her to focus on me. And then I give her a reward. I give her a treat because that shows that I've got this and it's not a big deal. I, I would definitely encourage you to find a professional trainer in your area. And, and some guidelines on that I would tell you is that there are different organizations. So not every trainer is the same. Um, I would look for a certified professional dog trainer, which is um, kind of a certification process that they'd have to go through. But even better are those that have degrees. And these are going to be the people best suited to help you with an aggression problem on the ground. I hope that uh, we'll talk to you in a year and you'll say, hey, things have changed. Thanks so much for helping out. Jill, we appreciate your call calling from Bakersfield. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Hi, this is Dr. Paul on Incredible Radio. Is that what it is? Animal Radio. Okay, I'm sorry. Hello, this is Dr. Paul on Animal Radio. You know, take care of the pets and make sure that in these hot days that you know, they get in lots of water and don't tie them outside in the sun because then they get a heat stroke. How would you like to save money on nearly all your prescription drugs? We've set up a special toll-free number for the RX Outreach Program. They're a nonprofit company whose mission it is to make prescription drugs more affordable to the masses. They don't take insurance, and in many cases, your prescriptions are even cheaper than your co-pays. They carry thousands of different prescription drugs, so whatever you're taking, there's a good chance they have it. No coupons are required, and this is not a discount card. It is pure savings on your prescription drugs. They specialize in generic meds for any chronic health needs you have. Call with your prescription and find out for free how little you can pay for your prescription drugs. Remember, we don't take insurance, so call right now. 800-689-0143. That's 800-689-0143. Celebrating the connection with our pets. This is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Well, if you just tuned in, where were you? That's just what I want to know because <laughs> coming up in just a few minutes, the chicken chick just around the corner. This uh, this lady has made lots of noise online with her chicken pictures. She has uh, strange and funny chicken pictures, and she loves the chickens. I believe she has... A couple of chickens herself. It's just a few. We'll find out uh, in just a few minutes. And I bring this up because I am babysitting chickens. And, you know, they're so cute. And I'm hearing more and more people are actually uh, bringing the chickens into the household as, as pets, which is strange. They're kind of messy. I would keep them outside <laughs> if I had was a chicken guardian because they poop all over. I, but, you, Dr. <laughs> Debbie, you said that you, they're their chickens. Uh, you have uh, clients whose chickens actually live inside the house. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And they, yeah, they follow them around. Um, so, you know, it's different strokes for different folks. Yep. Uh, you know, I've found that, you know, I've had clients that have iguanas that have free run of their house. And I find that kind of strange as well. But, um, you know, in many cases, they can train them to potty in certain areas. So, iguanas? Uh, can you use yeah. it like a litter, an iguana yeah. litter? Yeah, well, mostly where they have their climbing structures, they tend to, you know, defecate when they're over in those areas. Um, but yeah, they, they definitely, I just find it strange because, you know, they, they can potentially poop and then contaminate the household. Yep. But 
um, yeah, like this this lady had no problem whatsoever, and the and the iguana did everything in the designated area. Well, now chickens don't do that; they do it just about everywhere, <laughs> and that's the one thing yeah, I've they noticed. They are not discreet. <laughs> no, they aren't discreet whatsoever. Uh, but I'm very excited to talk to the chicken chick in just a few minutes right here on Animal Radio. What are you working on over there in the newsroom, Lori? Well, I've been doing some more, some more serious stuff, guys. Um, looking at uh, the federal agency that is independent of the government, but it looks at the guidelines for different crimes. And it's been asked to review the guidelines for a crime that I'm sure all of us find really heinous, being animal fighting. So we'll bring you up to speed on that in just a few. That's right around the corner. Let's hit the phones for your calls right now. By the way, you can also ask your question from the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android, and it's a free download. Uh, besides just asking your questions, you can also see the latest recalls, all the uh, information and news that really affects you and your pets. So you want to download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android right now. Hey, Debbie. Hi. How are you? Um, number one, I have two questions. Number one is I have a PGV. She's 10 years old. I took mm-hmm. her to the vet for Chattanooga infection. I happened to mention that I thought maybe she might have a urinary tract infection because she had uh, gone in the house twice a week and she's housebroken, she's, you know, she's 10 years old. It it has Mm -hmm. to be something going on. But she ran all kinds of blood tests and all that on her and everything came back fine. I did get something for her her ear infection, but she also uh, told me that her urine was a little watery. And okay. she said the next time she, I brought her back, if I wanted, um, we could do a blood test on her kidney. Now, mm-hmm. my, my question is, is, might this be the beginning of kidney failure or anything like that? Okay. Now, I want to back up first and foremost because you used an abbreviation that might have some people scratch in their heads. You said you have a PBGV, right? Yes, I'm sorry. Okay. So that's a kind of a unique breed of petite basset griffon, right? Yes. The Van Deen, right. It's a French breed. So I don't know, if Hal and Judy, if you guys heard about this breed. Hula is very special. <laughs> but very cool. Don't see many of those out, out in practice. So that's very, uh, very lovely. Um, so now I want to clarify also, um, you had some urine tests. Now, did they test her blood when you initially had that visit? Yes, they tested it for um, thyroid, diabetes. All the, I don't know. It was like $400. In there oh, okay. that day. Well, you hope so. the kidneys are included in there. Because <laughs> oh, <goodness. laughs> right. I just want to make sure, because definitely if we have a pet with a, a dilute urine, um, the first thing is definitely we want to check those kidneys. And there's some basic urine tests that we would do. Um, the BUN and creatinine are some of the basic chemistries that we would look at on a chem profile. Um, those are the first things that speak to us about the kidney function. So um, not sure where your pets were originally, but if it wasn't done or it wasn't included in that, then definitely I would encourage you to have that done because it's very important to look at that if we've got dilute urine. 
Um, the other thing we'll look for will be other signs of either kidney disease or infection. And we can do that with some special urine tests where we can check uh, the protein in the urine and compare that to other, other analogs in the urine. And that helps us to give us a suspicion of, you know, do we have that road of kidney disease we need to go hunting and, and do more involved testing like ultrasounds or x-rays or what have you. And then certainly, even if we don't see anything in the urine, but we are having urinary signs, um, I'll culture urine um, because we don't always see bacteria in a sample and there can be infection in that urinary tract. So that might be something to, unfortunately, more tests. I'm sure you want to hear that right now. <laughs> um, but that would be a, you know, a realistic way to kind of make us feel better. Do we have something in this urinary tract we have to worry about? Um, after that's all kind of satisfied and we hopefully look good in that department, then we might look at other things. And um, I've had a couple patients where we can have a condition of diabetes insipidus. Um, it's not terribly common. It's not your regular diabetes, but it's a, a type of diabetes that affects um, uh, their concentration of urine, and they actually produce large amounts of very dilute urine. Um, it takes a little special testing for that as well, um, but that's something else to look at. And in some cases, I eliminate all the other things that will influence a watery urine. So some some dogs will tank up on pool water. Some pets drink a lot of water um, out of just a, what we call a psychogenic uh, problem where they drink excessive amounts. Um, and then we look at any medicines or things like that that might be causing an increased thirst. So um, that's where the sleuth work in veterinary medicine comes into play. And that's when our job gets really interesting when we're trying to piece together not only lab tests, but also things that go on in the house or in, in your pet's life. Um, so... Uh, kind of a roundabout answer to that, but I hope that gives you some confirmation that, yes, I would definitely look into those kidneys more. And you okay. had a second question? Yes. Um, and I know this people are so going to think I'm crazy, but my other dog is an old, or is a uh, English Mastiff, and okay. she is three years old, and I do want to have one litter of puppies. I used to have Great Danes, and I had puppies with them, and I just want to experience one litter with her, and then I will have her spayed. But mm -hmm. my, my question is, do they, when they come in heat, do they experience uh, stomach cramps, uh, moody, uh, <laughs> lethargic? Like do we they have do. PMS? <laughs> <laughs> Do dogs have PMS? What a great question. You know, a lot of the... We'd have to say some of that we honestly do not know. I can tell you that there are some dogs that I do feel have some uh, mild diarrhea around the time that they're in heat, and they can have some behavioral changes. So it is certainly realistic to expect they have some of the physical changes. I don't know if they're as you know moody as uh, we women can take the blame for being, um, because I always feel that dogs uh, are much sturdier than us humans uh, when it comes to pain and emotions. They 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 take the cake. They really are much tougher that way. So um, hard to say about that. But, um, you know, I'm going to also go back to Debbie and say that I am not a fan of breeding just for the experience of breeding. And mm -hmm. I always tell folks that have families or children when they say the kids want to see a babies be born and they want to have puppies. You know what I say? I sign them up to go to the shelter and to walk dogs. 
And when those dogs are gone the next week because they're euthanized, for me, that is a life-changing experience. And, and it impacted my life greatly. And I would encourage people to not get hung up on the beauty of having puppies and all the good stuff because um, we can all make a difference in pet overpopulation. So my lecture for the day. <laughs> well, thank you for your calls. And I, uh, I hope those uh, questions will help you out some there. And uh, best wishes with your babies. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. Vinny Penn, Party Animal, coming at you on Animal Radio. Nice to be back. Thanks for having me back. All right, I know all of you out there. I'm going to sweep. I'm going to say all of you out there. Maybe the fact of the matter is 85% of you are on Facebook. You're doing the FB thing. You're on there. You're updating your status, especially if you're obsessed with your pooch. You're on there saying Lizzie just got home and is scratching Rogo's belly. I don't know where I came up with the name Rogo, but we're all doing the Facebook thing. One question I have for you is I'm being inundated, not with friend ads. I don't know why. Not a lot of people asking me to be their friend, but I am being inundated with all these various causes. I mean, from the silly uh, so-and-so wants to know if you want to join the Brady Bunch trivia group, ignore, to various, uh, you know, the race to sit, uh, to end cancer group, and then you can check on more information and see if you want to be a part of it. I see a lot on there for animals, and I wanted to kind of put it out there. Like, are we diluting the waters here on Facebook by by fashioning these kind of uh, grassroots groups? Are they taking away from the bigger, more well-known groups that are actually generating capital and we're and doing some good as far as spaying and neutering and saving strays and saving shelters in general are these little groups that are our bored friends are putting together on facebook are they chipping away at a larger stone and taking away from something that's been around for 20 years and and we're I'm going to go and see if I can add Bob Barker as a friend. Do you think he would accept my ad? I think he would. I think he might. I'm going to see if he's even on Facebook. Gee, saw that tanning. He doesn't even have much of a face left. But you tell me, is Facebook chipping away at the large stone of animal causes? Or should we join all these groups in every group? Hit me up at Animal Radio. Vinny, AnimalRadio.com. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more 
prick in my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800 785 1673. 1673. 1673. That's 800 785 yeah, you heard me right. The chicken chick here on Animal Radio. <laughs> easy for you to say. It is easy yeah. for me to say. So tell me, uh, Dr. Debbie, I saw a picture floating around the internet. Oh, I saw it too. Now. Yeah, I saw Wait it too. It's, uh, it's a picture of Nikki, your dog, just after yeah. you altered Nikki. Did you do it personally? Yes. No, my husband did. And he's a veterinarian just for anyone who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> he's just not doing this on the fly somewhere. <laughs> But yeah, we're both veterinarians, but um, at his office, he has a laparoscope. Um, so where you can go in with very, very small keyhole incisions and using um, cameras and equipment arms, you can actually go in and do surgery with minimally invasive approaches. So that's the, the method that we used for her. Wow. Um, so, so she, she was spayed. And then did she, she do spayed. something else? Yes, we did a preventative gastropexy. And we talked about this. A, well, we talked about bloat um, yes. recently when we had the um, the pet CPR lady on and bloat is what we call the mother of all emergencies it's a horrible emergency in large breed dogs where their stomach bloats up it twists on itself and then it, they can't vomit they can't pass food and it becomes rapidly fatal within hours so in breeds that are at high risk for a bloat um, this is definitely a, a recommended surgery what are those breeds well the, the number one is the Great Dane and they have a 40 percent lifetime risk of developing bloat really wow. yeah but there's other breeds um, the, the Saint Bernard Weimaraner is highly represented but i've seen it in golden retrievers i've seen it in um dalmatians um, a lot of different breeds some even just mixed breeds um but it, it's the bloat is recognized when a pet um tries to vomit but can't so um their stomach gets distended and like i said within a couple hours it can be rapidly fatal they'll get very weak go into shock and uh, if you don't have a veterinarian nearby um, the pets will die very quickly now see i thought it was just in deep chested dogs my dog is little but she's got a deep chest is that something i ever need to worry about with her it's less common in little dogs, so it would be unusual for a preventative tacking surgery to be done in a little dog unless mm-hmm. they've displayed a previous um, you know, symptom of this. But usually, yeah, deep-chested dogs. Um, we know that some other risk factors, dogs that are kind of high-strung or anxious are at a higher risk for um, developing bloat in their lifetime. And believe it or not, one thing that used to be done that actually makes it potentially worse is the tendency to feed elevated feedings. Oh, you mean off the ground? Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, those elevated, like, uh, bowl holders that are up about two feet off the ground. Which they say is supposed to be better for them, but it's not, is it? It can be better for pets with neck problems so they don't bend over, but as far as bloat concerns, it actually is... Is, has been shown to be an increasing risk factor for developing bloat. Wow. So, yeah. Now, so, is bloat um, going to happen right after eating, or could it happen hours later? 
It can happen really at any time. There used wow. to be the thought that, you know, you should let your dogs eat or drink a lot of water and run around, mm-hmm. um, that they could bloat. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly I'd say a lot of these other factors they're looking at. And, and truly, if your dog has a, um, a close family member, <laughs> so a parent um, or a sibling that develop bloat, they are highly at risk for developing bloat. So that's yet another thing to think about. So keep in touch with the breeders, the, you know, other siblings um, to find out if that's something that you need to be worried about. And, it, you know, it was reported in uh, my dog breed, the Bouvier. So it was something that we kind of decided uh, for and against, and, and we opted to go with it. Just uh, Well, what are some exciting. of the cons? You say for and against. What are the cons? Well, some of the against is that um, there are certainly complications because, um, you know, it's kind of like when we're doing a stomach surgery up by the diaphragm, there are some potential risks that we could develop a pneumothorax, meaning air escaping from the chest into the abdomen um, where they have trouble breathing. Most of these things are surgically um, in the times of surgery, um, but it does require more technical skill. Um, in the type that we did, laparoscopic, it requires the equipment, which means more expense to the, you know, the sure. owner. The the benefit for our dog, I think, was wonderful. Um, you know, she was able to, she just got these tiny little incisions. It's so wonderful. So if they have the surgery done without the laparoscope, you have to have a pretty big incision. So, you know, that's the down for some, you know, a con for some folks to have that done. So do you so. Re- recommend it in dogs that uh, have a propensity to get this, to have it done while they are spayed? or yes. Or just yes. to have a separate surgery? It's easier to do at the same time? It is easy to do at the same time, especially for a dog being spayed because we're already in the abdominal cavity. For um, a male dog, still can do it when they're neutered. It's just a you know different type of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, it, that's the ideal time when they're young, before they have a lot of belly fat, <laughs> sure. and um, you know before they've had any previous um, episodes of any kind of GI problems. Do you have to wait until they're you know mature or reached a certain size? I mean, what if you do it at puppy? Can that stretch as they get older? Yeah. I, we do recommend that they get to a certain size because we're dealing with some large breed dogs and you do want to make sure that their chest cavity and their abdomen, um, you know, have, have reached a fair maturity. So it isn't something we'd be doing on early spay neuters. We'd be waiting till they get to a decent size. So what do you just, uh, you staple it to the, the side of the, what happens? How, what is the procedure? The procedure is basically on the side of the body wall. So the stomach is grabbed and it's sutured against the body wall. So kind of where the rib attaches um, on the inside. So it's sutured in there and it helps to tether the stomach to keep it from flipping. So a pet may still bloat where their stomach fills with gas, but as long as that stomach doesn't turn and twist, then they don't develop that really serious complication. Mm. So, um, so you're both yeah. uh, operating on your own animals in a kind of, uh, I, I don't know, <laughs> I didn't think that uh, vets operated on their own animals. Yeah, many do. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm a mama, so um, I allow my husband to do all the surgery, oh, okay. and I deal with all the medicine. So we, we have a shared responsibility in our households. But, you know, there's a lot of vets that, yeah, they, they would, you know, they'd be the only ones that they want to do surgery on their pet. Uh, that's just not me. I just, I get too worried. I'm a mama. <laughs> You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now with the free Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. How would you like to save money on nearly all your prescription drugs? We've set up a special toll-free number for the RX Outreach Program. 
They're a nonprofit company whose mission it is to make prescription drugs more affordable to the masses. They don't take insurance, and in many cases, your prescriptions are even cheaper than your co-pays. They carry thousands of different prescription drugs, so whatever you're taking, there's a good chance they have it. No coupons are required, and this is not a discount card. It is pure savings on your prescription drugs. They specialize in generic meds for any chronic health needs you have. Call with your prescription and find out for free how little you can pay for your prescription drugs. Remember, we don't take insurance, so call right now. 800 689 0143. 800 689 0143. That's 800 689 0143. This is Animal Radio, baby. Well, hi, Lynn. How are you? Well, you know what? I just, um, I had talked to my vet, but we have a puppy, an Australian Shepherd, and I just wondered what you recommend. Um, age-wise to get him neutered. Okay. I was told like five to six months, but I wondered if there's things that, you know, should his testicles have dropped by then? You know, he still doesn't lift his leg pin. He's more like a squat still. <laughs> okay. In general, I'd say that my veterinary recommendation is about six months for the castration surgery. Um, that's before we start to see the bad behaviors, um, marking around the house, um, a little bit pushy dominance or aggressive behaviors. In our community, you know, we have one of those laws that says that you have to neuter your dog and cat by four months of age. And um, I don't dispute the law, but I would say my preference is six months. And uh, for some things like, uh, you know, testicles, yes, they ought to be dropped by six months. But actually, those little suckers should be falling on those puppy visits. So usually on the three-month, the four-month visits, if those testicles aren't there, then I maybe get a little concerned. But by six months, they should be in their normal position. If they're not, that might be a condition called cryptorchidism, where the testicle doesn't drop normally. Um, not that we would wait necessarily longer, just means we have a little abnormality to deal with. But um, as far as neutering-wise, you said he's five months right now? He's six months. Oh, he's six months. So, yeah, I think he's old enough to sign up. And if he's not lifting his leg, um, I don't know that waiting longer may necessarily help him. Um, it's, it's not necessarily a hormone-driven behavior. A lot of times it's learned from other dogs around him. So might help to take him to the dog park and let him watch some of the big boys and uh, you know he might pick up that behavior <laughs> otherwise it okay. might just be a little bit more time and he'll he'll find it you know okay. sometimes i sit down too <laughs> too much information <laughs> so it um what you said earlier it is better to do it before he shows signs of aggressive behavior so Absolutely, yeah. And I found some people that actually wait because they're waiting to see those signs. And actually, behaviorally, we can avoid so many more problems if we don't allow that to actually happen in the first place. So, yeah, I, I would I would endorse the old snip-snip for your friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. The U.S. Sentencing Commission, that's the USSC, has been asked by animal lovers all over the world to get tough on dog fighting by committing to stronger sentencing guidelines for convicted animal fighters. Well, apparently they received a slew of letters and emails and voicemails, and apparently the agency listened. Earlier this month, the USSC voted unanimously to put examining the sentencing guidelines for animal fighting on its agenda for next year. 
The independent federal agency actually constructs those sentencing guidelines we hear referred to all the time. They're a reference for federal judges. Its guidelines currently classify animal fighting as a gambling crime. And, you know, anyone who's seen footage of an animal fighting or a raid knows that the real harm of those crimes has nothing to do with placing bets. For the past nine years, some of America's biggest producers of fresh salad greens and vegetables have been kind of waging this quiet war on wildlife that surrounds their fields, all in an effort to keep your veggies free of contamination from disease-causing bacteria that can make humans sick. Well, now a new look at a big whole pile of safety data suggests that farmers clearing away wildlife habitat does not make field-grown food any safer for we humans. Ever since the battle started back with the Great Spinach Scare of 2006, uh, which was blamed on wild pigs, farmers have been getting rid of any places near their farms that wildlife might hide. They've had to tear out trees and clear out stream banks and created wide swaths of bare earth all around their fields. They're not going to have to do that anymore. I'm Lori Brooks. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. It's Animal Radio. Celebrating the connection with our pets. I was just telling Lori that I babysit these chickens next door. It's actually kind of fun. How are they doing? They're doing pretty good, you know? I, you have I chickens my, next door? My first chicken experience ever. Have you ever held a chicken? Well, you have, Lori, of course. You were, I have, you were like yeah. born on the farm. <laughs> never. You've never held no, a chicken? I, I grew up, I grew up, and I got to tell you, the funny part was when I grew up in New Jersey, we had a um, family next to us that had uh, chicken coops in the yard. You were, and I lived outside of the city. You weren't allowed to have them, but um, they made a lot of noise, I remember, but no, I never touched them. Well, you see, these guys don't make a lot of noise unless they're laying eggs, and I should say gals, because they're all gals. Yeah, no roosters. No roosters over there, and they lay these cute little eggs every day. Uh, but I was telling Lori about it, and she said, you know, have you heard about the uh, chicken chick? And I, I got to say that very carefully. <laughs> chicken. The what? Chick. Chicken chick. Chicken chick. <laughs> chicken chick. And, uh, She's online. Yeah. I, you were able to get her? Is that I correct? Did. Is she I on did. the phone? She is. We, She's with us right now. We have the chicken chick, Kathy Shea Mormino. Mormino? Mormino, I believe. Kathy, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Very well. Where are we calling you today? What? What city? I am in hot and steamy Connecticut. Hot and steamy. That's actually the name of the city. <laughs> the city they have there. It's not very popular. That's right. Do, do you have chickens over there? You must I have. I have a plethora of chickens. I have upwards of 60 chickens Holy in my moly. backyard wow. as we speak. No roosters? Kathy, I, I Kathy, I used to be a big... F- lots of roosters. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm sorry. L- Lori over <laughs> the dogs here, are barking. <laughs> Lori over here is a big Facebook fan of yours. Oh, hello, Lori. Do you have chickens? Hi, Kathy. You took... I, I just love your Facebook page because you take the most awesome pictures of chickens. And, and my dogs are excited, too, but I just I would share your pictures all the time because you have developed little characters on your chickens, and they're really pretty chickens. Thank you. I think they're pretty, too. And that's one of the things about chickens that people tend not to realize is that they have personalities and they are characters. They come in a wide variety of colors and sizes and... 
attitudes. <laughs> and they're pretty smart, too. I got to tell you, these ones that I'm babysitting next door are chicken sitting, which you also <laughs> got to say pretty carefully. <laughs> It's uh, they're, they're smart. They know they know exactly how to get treats for me and when to go into the the little coop. cage, the coop that they have at night. And I mean, they they know what's going on. Yeah, they've trained you, and uh, they're very much creatures of habit. So if they if they associate you with some sort of um, mealworm treat or corn on the cob, they are going to demand it of you every time you walk in the yard. <laughs> are you noticing that chickens are actually becoming more popular? Absolutely. In backyards, in urban settings, um, more and more suburban settings, it's a huge pet yeah. animal to keep now. They're not just the livestock that our grandparents used to keep them as, which is maybe what you know Joey experienced in, with his chicken outlaws next door. Uh-huh. Um, if they had several chicken coops, it sounds like they may have had more than just you know a few <laughs> chickens for personal personal use, but. Um, chickens of today are very different from what most people remember their grandparents having in their backyard in terms of their purpose and how we relate to them and how we think about them. Are they illegal in some cities still? They are. In fact, they're illegal in my city. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. So I've been, uh, it's funny. It's funny. How do you keep 60 chickens quiet? <laughs> um, well, I don't try. <laughs> and you asked if I have roosters. I have at least. Uh, four adult roosters and wow. several cockerels who are um, growing quickly, waiting for them to crow any minute now. But um, I don't try to keep them quiet. And regulating backyard chickens is a major, major issue around our country that people are facing all the time. And who would have thunk, you know, 50 years ago that you would have had to request permission from your city to feed your family? Very few municipalities uh, regulated chicken keeping because that's how you fed your family. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. I never thought of that. that uh, well, it, it, it pretty much for the eggs, though, right? Well, no. The sorry, Hal, but uh, people no, eat you can't. No, yeah, they don't. Yeah, I'm afraid so, Hal. I wouldn't mention that on your website. That was one big thing I learned was that how many people have pets as chickens, and they love their chicken. They're just like a dog to these people. Absolutely. Or a cat. Absolutely, they are. And most backyard chicken keepers find that their chickens, they don't intend to get them as pets initially, but they become pets very quickly. It's very easy to bond with a, you know, a two-ounce chick you know, immediately upon arrival at the house. So certainly most of my fans um, don't process their birds and consider them um, pets just like their dog or their cat. Yeah. So what's the rooster for then? What do we need the rooster for? I mean, I, I know that my neighbors have these eggs every day. They, they don't have a rooster. Mm-hmm. They don't need a rooster. Mm-hmm. Isn't the rooster the noisy one? It's funny you should ask that. And nobody ever asks, what do you need a dog for? Dogs sure. don't create food, do they? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we are with the chicken chick, Kathy Shea Mormino. And uh, her website, the-chicken-chick.com, is uh, where you're going to find this, plus her Facebook page. I I understand virally there's uh, something really strange going on (laughs) where people are dressing pet chickens in sweaters. What what is this about? Oh, please don't put sweaters on your chickens, people. Do people do that? Really? Yes, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. There's no need for it. Chickens are already dressed. They already have lovely feather jackets. With down underneath, they don't need sweaters. Just say no to chicken sweaters. Amen, brother. Okay, there you go. (laughs) 
If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. 800-785-1673. That's 800-785-1673. Hey folks, this is Jackson Galaxy. You're listening to Animal Radio. Please do everyone a favor, spay or neuter your animals today. And now today's really funny story. Innocent bystander? I didn't know dogs could drive. It's the Wayne West Virginia Walmart and employees on a break when a car starts inching towards her. Instead of screaming and running the other way like I would have. She assumed the driver maybe was messing with her. Until she saw a dog behind the wheel. What do you think, thoughtful innocent bystander? Dogs can be your best friends. In this situation, they can be your enemy too. (laughs) The car crashed into the front of the Walmart. Another dog in the passenger seat pushed the car window down to say hi. The owner left her car running so her dogs could stay cool while she was shopping. The dog knocked the car out of park. Innocent bystander, what's the first thing you'd think if a car was coming at you being driven by a dog? I would laugh for sure, and then I'd be like, oh, wow, dogs can drive. Am I the only one who would run away? This is Animal Radio, baby. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Dr. Debbie. How are you? Oh, hi. I'm wonderful today. What can we help you with today? Well, my husband and I adopted a cat that's an indoor-outdoor cat about four years ago, and Mm -hmm. he's always worn a collar, even when we adopted him or before we adopted him, and we've noticed within the last six to eight months that he's been coming in in the mornings without his collar on, and so the, the first time we thought, well, you know, maybe that's a coincidence. The second time, we got a little suspicious and thought, well, maybe one of the neighbors is concerned about him wearing a collar that has to buckle, uh-huh. and so they're removing it. Then the third time that we put a collar on, we used the, the breakaway collar, and he came in last week without his breakaway collar on. And mm-hmm. so we're concerned that, well, we'd like to have for him to have a collar on with a bell so that we can hear him when he comes in and out of the house. And we think that that's a good idea for him to... Maybe, uh, you know, so, so maybe the, the birds and the animals can hear it and he can, uh-huh. you know, they'll, the birds will get away from him. So um, we're just wondering, what should we do about this? Well, it's it's kind of a tricky situation because, you know, and I, I've i had some cats in my lifetime that have been able to get out of breakaway collars in an indoor situation. So um, that's what they're designed for. I can't explain why the other collars came off, but I, I'd be concerned. Um, we do like to have ID on our pets, especially if they're going outside. But if your kitty is getting into environments where that is coming off or getting snagged up on things, that does put them at risk for, you know, choking or some kind of injury from that. So as much as we want to keep a collar on them, um, you know, if we assume that no human is removing that. um, You think neighbors are removing it, though? You are assuming that. Is that correct? 
we are, we assume that a neighbor is removing it because of the they just don't want the cat to have a, t- a collar on. How about putting a note on the collar? The new one, <laughs> just putting a little note on it, and say, "Hey, call. Let's talk about this before you take the collar off." You know, I like that idea. We could do that. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you have a steady communication somehow uh, with the neighbor there. Do you know which neighbor? No, our cat lives in a, a neighborhood. We call it an island that is kind of blocked off by by different roads, and so he lives on this this island. And everybody in the neighborhood knows him because he's out and about so much. I mean, he's a nice cat. He's that, very, very nice cat. Does a breakaway collar, is that visibly a breakaway collar, or could that look like any other collar? Could the neighbor think, oh, it's just another another no. collar? No, it looks no, different. It, it's definitely a breakaway. You can see that it has a uh, like a little a snap instead of a buckle. Wow, Doc. This is a tough one. Yeah. Well, I mean, Hal's suggestion about putting some, like, little note or, you know, important identification is included. Um, I would also make sure you do have your kitty microchipped. And it won't serve Mm -hmm. the the purpose of having the audible tone, the bell sound, but at least that's another way that you can help ensure that he's your kitty and that he is identified and, heaven forbid, someone picks him up and decides they want to have him, um, that there's some ID there. So, you know, I... Good. Fabulous. Good, good. And you know, the other, I guess the other side of the argument would be the safest thing would be to keep him indoors so that he doesn't even have this problem. So I know that's not always a popular opinion with some cats who are used to this lifestyle of being the outdoor kind of wandering, uh, checking out the neighborhood and, and keeping tabs on his domain. But that would be the only one thing I could say that we would avoid this problem altogether. They live a longer life, don't they, Doc? Generally, is it statistically proven? Definitely. Outdoor cats, um, injury, infectious disease, uh, you name it. It shortens their, almost by 50% shortens Mm. their lifespan. So, yeah, that's my little advertisement to keep them indoors. (laughs) I think I like the idea of putting a little note on his collar. We'll buy another collar and attach a little note to it and see see what happens. And and, and do the attachment collar because when we adopted this cat from a neighbor who was moving out of town, her only stipulation was that we continue to keep him as an indoor-outdoor cat because that was the way she wanted him to be. And we put in the cat door so that he could come in and out. And so we're going to keep that arrangement. Okay. We're going to keep our part of the arrangement there. Well, but I do like that. the yeah, put, the, put the note on and then and then let it call us back. Let us know what happens. We're very curious. And if you're the neighbor, yeah. hey, stop it. Yeah, put a bell. Put a bell on the little cat door so you can hear the bell when oh, he comes the door up too. the cat door. Yes, hey, there yeah. you go. Yeah, that's an idea too. Uh, okay. Ju- Judy actually made me wear a bell at one time because I would sneak around. Yeah, I couldn't find him around the house. I was. So I understand completely. You're wanting to have that, and of course, the birds. It does scare away the birds, so that they have a chance to get away. Good idea. I hope it works out. Let me know. How it does work out, okay? Uh, Thank you very much. Okay, let's get on out of here. Many, many thanks to Amanda Jones as well as the chicken chick, Kathy Mormino. Mormino. Calling from, uh, where was she? Hot and sticky Connecticut. There you go. That's right. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check in during the week anytime over at AnimalRadio.com. And if you haven't downloaded the Animal Radio app, do it now. We'll catch you next week for more Animal Radio right here on this fine station. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This is Animal Radio Network.